Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. And Brown and Bigelow, for those of you who may have heard of their promotion, they were a, a, a bit of, let me start over. But, you know... But, um, 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 so, God, just drew a blank on the name. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. A place where pop culture creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. Today, we'll be talking about what happens when something created to sell a product not only outlasts it, but also grows bigger than its humble origins to the point that it has its own center of gravity. With apologies to Flo, Matt's headroom, and that stoner kid that used to try to sell us a computers we'll be discussing a couple of cultural touchstones so find your best convenience store bought cigar mix your booze with a fun fizzy soda and join us once again as we belly up to the bar so elliot i have a funny story to tell you today you know we both do love a little bit of the lowbrow right yes and uh, i got a story of something that I've known about for a long time that pisses on the leg uh, of, of highbrow all the time. So <laughs> let me explain to you. So you know the painting the, the, of the dogs playing poker? Are oh. you fa- you're familiar with that, Oh, right? of course, 100%. Okay. Yep. Well, so not long ago, I was doing some uh, browsing around on the Internet, and I thought, man, I wonder if any of those paintings exist and how much they are. You know, surely they're not that much. Um, you know, they were sort of cheesy calendar art. Um, well, I come to find out they were actually done for uh, advertising purposes, which I had no idea. I thought it was just some dude that made oil paintings uh, of dogs. But the dogs playing poker were actually a series of oil paintings, and they were commissioned by Brown and Bigelow to advertise cigars. So Brown and Bigelow, those of you may have heard of them, they're a promotional publishing company, and they're based out of St. Paul, Minnesota. And today we know them as, as a, like a, an imprinted promotional item supplier, things that you would have your logo printed on. But back in the day, they worked with many famous illustrators to create calendars and posters and things like that that you would see in offices. They worked with Norman Rockwell, Maxfield Parrish. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rolf Armstrong, Gil uh, Elfgring. And this guy that painted these dogs, 
is a guy named Cassius Marcellus Coolidge. Who wins? He totally wins the name game right there. That's the best name ever. I know. Cassius. And, and he would even sign some of his paintings as just Cash, which, you know, makes him even all the cooler. Um, but he was actually painting dogs that had been humanized. And he was commissioned to do a series of 16 paintings way back 1894 to 1910 for Brown and Bigelow, as I said, to advertise cigars. And if you think about these paintings, so the, the dogs playing poker, those are probably the most famous ones. Mm -hmm. And there's actually 11 of those, but they're doing other things too. They're doing other things that, that, you know, dogs just kicking it, enjoying life do, like playing football or watching baseball or out on a road trip or something like that. But what was cool was the dogs playing poker were by far the most popular. And it's because these paintings that Coolidge did, they set up these whole scenes. Like there was so much shit going on in these paintings and they told a story. And if you think about it, they were used for calendars. So they were up for you know, a month at a time. So it gave people time to really sort of get into the, the illustration. Now I understand why there was a series of 12 or so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what's cool is they, they tell a story just like kind of a classic painting would tell a story, but you feel like you've just walked into the middle of this scene. The most famous one, like, that I know of, you probably are familiar with this one, with the bulldog passing the ace with his back leg to his friend. Uh, that's called a friend in need, you know, which, come on, that could happen. Right? I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. Um, a St. Bernard holds a pair of twos who's trying to bluff to get all the chips. That one's called a bold bluff. And then a follow-up to that, there's a painting called Waterloo, which shows the outcome of a bold bluff with the St. Bernard winning. And all the dogs are like, eh, man. You know, they're like dropping their cigars. They're spilling their scotch. <laughs> you know, they're like, what? <laughs> what just happened here? So what struck me about this was, again, I had no idea that this was advertising art. I thought it was just, you know, a painting. I didn't realize that when you look at every single one, there's, you know, a dog holding a cigar. A cigar is part of it in some way, but it definitely is not um, overly done. So it got me thinking about, I wonder if there are other pop culture icons that we know very well that could have possibly been selling products at one time. It's funny you mention that. So I am going to use this topic, use this opportunity to deviate a little bit from our typical format. Um, uh -huh. I feel like up to this point, we have always discussed something that has in one form or another manifested itself as a physical object, whether that mm -hmm. object be something now that's, that's kind of digital in nature, like a typeface or something that is totally physical, like a giant sign or trading cards, but um, this time I'm actually going to go with a person. You have totally inspired me to go with a character hmm. whose roots are in advertising, but a lot of people probably know 
about his life, this character's life beyond advertising. Okay? okay. I'm going to give you two catchphrases and you tell me if based on these two catchphrases if you can guess who it is I'm talking about. The, oh, okay. Shoot. Okay. Now I want the character, okay? Oh, okay. Okay. Not not the actor but the character. Okay. Okay, and I'm going to do my best impressions, which means oh, okay. they're not going to be very good. <laughs> All right, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Phrase number one. Hey, Vern. Hey, Vern. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then phrase number two. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ernest P. Worrell. Right? Yes. Is that exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. Ernest. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, but, uh, so that he's not a real character. I mean, I mean, I know he, I know he made movies and stuff, but so. That's there's not a guy named Ernest P. Worrell, huh? So this is the interesting thing. So you touched on a, a you hit the nail on the head. You talked about movies. A majority of people know this character because of the movies he was in. Ernest saves Christmas. Ernest goes to camp. You know, there's a whole great movies. Yeah, series of the. I know Todd. Again, you talked before about how you felt the Oscars were fixed, and this is further proof for you that. You know uh, that? The best work never sees the light of day at the Oscars. That's right. When Ernest Saves Christmas did not get a nomination nod, something was wrong. Yes, yes. Well, so the actor behind the Ernest P. Worrell character is a fellow named Jim Varney. And um, Ernest got his start because Varney was a pitchman for local businesses on television and that's where the character came from we're uh in like the south or something so he and uh a nashville ad man named john cherry who was a partner with another guy named jerry carden in an ad agency named carden and cherry oddly enough Uh they with jim varney created this character ernest p worrell now Todd, with you being a fan of Andy Griffith, can you think mm-hmm. of an Andy Griffith character with a similar name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ernest T. Bass. Exactly. So that's where the name came from. Oh, no kidding, really? Yes. That's funny. Yes. So every character has a handle. Every character has sort of a catchphrase, as we talked about. And so the Haven and the You Know What I Mean those were the two phrases that Varney came up with as part of this character. Mm-hmm. So the way these guys made this work was Cardin and Cherry would approach local Nashville area businesses. So think about car lots, uh, grocery stores, places like this. And they would say, hey, do you want to do a quick low budget ad with this earnest character plugging your business? Enough people took them up on it. To the point that sometimes in a single day, they shot 25 spots for different Damn. businesses. Wow. And these were all <laughs> super low budget. Yeah. So they were all just shot with a handheld camcorder. You know, there was nothing at all sophisticated about this. You know, it's the equivalent of just you or I going out with our iPhone today and just shooting one of us hamming it up for, right, you know, right. a local grocery chain or whatever. A lot of times, these were shot through the vantage point of a kitchen window. So 
Ernest P. Worrell would always be walking by the open kitchen window with a kitchen table there, and he would come up and he would start talking to Vern. Now, we, the audience, were Vern. So Vern was us. So Ernest was always mm -hmm. talking to us. He was asking us questions. He was pitching a product. He was telling us what we needed to do. And this was sort of a brilliant masterstroke on the part of the structure of these advertising spots because as a viewer, it immediately put us in the middle of the action, right? Right, right. So these spots took off, and they took off to the point that Coke noticed Ernest P. Worrell, and so he started <laughs> advertising Sprite and, I think, Tab and some of these other products in the Coke portfolio. So they quickly realized they ran into a problem. Working with these local businesses that was a grocery chain or a dairy company or a, a gas utility or some of these other things, they were having exclusive contracts signed with these folks, basically, of course, saying, we will not advertise with any other grocery chain mm -hmm. if you work with us and you advertise with us. So when these national grocery chains or national dairy companies or other large, uh, you know, nationwide entities came knocking on the door of Cardin and Cherry wanting to use Ernest P. Worrell, they couldn't do it. Their hands were tied because of these exclusive contracts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they had really, it was born out of the local car dealer. Exactly, um, yeah. exactly. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so that became a quick problem. So suddenly, uh, Cardin and Cherry had this very popular character, but they didn't have a path through product endorsement to monetize it in a major mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They pivot to TV and movies, right? These uh -huh. uh, exclusive agreements were just for advertising. They weren't for anything else. So that's how Ernest became part of our pop culture. That's how we started to see him in movies and all these different sorts of things. Oh, okay. So... Uh, does, uh, well, is, is the actor Jim Varney, is he still around? Does he do commercials anymore? Yeah. Sadly, he passed away at age 50 in, uh, 2000. Um, oh, wow. he was a long time chain smoker and he died of lung cancer. So, um, oh, wow. it's amazing though, that 20 years later, we still know who he is and we still know his work. So a little bit of background on him really quickly. So he was an American actor, a comedian, and a writer. And he's best known for, of course, Ernest P. Worrell. And this is something he won a Daytime Emmy Award for because he had a Saturday morning TV kids show on CBS. Finally, finally he got his recognition exactly, with the Emmy Award. Exactly, exactly. So he was both a serious actor and a stand-up comedian mm -hmm. before this Ernest P. Worrell character was invented. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. And he was in other movies outside of the Ernest movies as well. So along with those nine movies, he was Jed Clampett in a film adaptation of the Beverly Hillbillies in 1993. Right. And he was... Another Pixar tie-in, Todd. He was Slinky Dog in Toy Story and Toy Story 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've forgotten about that. I did know about the uh, the Beverly Hillbillies remake. Yeah. So he went on to do things, capitalize on his fame as an individual, just outside of the Ernest character as well. 
naturally there's cultural impact here. I think one of the things that we always tend to circle back on is pop culture and why are these people remembered, you know, or why are these products mm-hmm. remembered? Why are these characters remembered? Okay. So another, as you can imagine, line of potential profits were things like books and toys that were earnest driven and they were made when Varney was alive, but they really weren't that popular. They weren't that impactful. Mm-hmm. But his character over the years has been parodied on a ton of different television shows that also, of course, have not only mined pop culture, but they themselves have become part of pop culture. Beavis and Butthead, Family Guy. Oh, wow. And The Simpsons. Oh, wow. Among many, many others. So you'll love this. I need to I need to list some of these for you. Yeah. So these are some of the fake earnest films that are in episodes of The Simpsons. Okay, are you ready for these? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ernest needs a kidney. <laughs> Ernest versus the Pope. Ernest goes to Broadway. <laughs> Ernest goes straight to video. <laughs> and Ernest goes somewhere cheap. <laughs> So you can start to see how this has this long tail beyond just the original work. And then other TV shows that have referenced the Ernest movies as well are Saved by the Bell, Mystery Science Theater 3000, How I Met Your Mother, and The Big Bang Theory, among many, many others. Todd, those dogs had the right idea. Hanging out with friends, having a few drinks, and just shooting the shit. Hey, I tell you what, before we get into the second half of the episode, let's go refill our snack bowls, get a new pitcher from the bar, and meet back here in just a few minutes. Know what I mean? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at two designerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait, we do want people to visit, right? <laughs> well, oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling, tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. (laughs) That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. 
So that's an interesting tie-in because I was thinking about um, kind of some takeaways with the dogs playing poker. And what you just mentioned there is exactly one of the same things that I was thinking, which is um, these uh, icons, these pop culture icons uh, that got their life started as pitching a product, but they become far hipper um, than the original intent. You know, the dogs playing poker has also been parodied uh, a number of times, like for Family Guy, um, ESPN, on video games, movies, and certainly has been seen in every game room across America. And I think another takeaway is what really sells these into the world of pop culture, what sort of gets them out of just the orbit of advertising, is that they do represent this this kind of nirvana, this, uh, they're certainly in front of us in media all the time, but in the case of the dogs playing poker, um, this is something we've talked about in past episodes when we talk about parody, is the their genre scenes that were influenced by Flemish Baroque paintings of everyday life. So mm-hmm. the, the painter went to uh, the extent of making them look believable, like uh the golden age of Dutch masters to really sell the parody. And then yeah, when you look at them, it's, you know, dogs playing poker. Um, <laughs> right, right. It's because... In, well, in it's, it this, been... it's this awareness of high art to elevate the low art. Right. Oh, that's a good way to look at it because it wouldn't have been anywhere near as um, sustainable if it were just guys sitting around playing poker and smoking cigars, Right. Like, yep. completely yep. forgettable. But Coolidge was uh, astute enough to know that take that um, parody of the genre of that Flemish painting and make dogs uh, do it. Um, <laughs> because, you know, that's what we love. And it's what we love about parody. It's that plausible impossibility, which I love that phrase because that just means it's something that you know, it probably is not going to happen. It's hard to see dogs passing cards under the table with their little hind legs, but it's plausible that it could happen. Mm-hmm. Do you um, think? Do you think he also chose dogs because dogs are quote unquote man's best friend, and cigar smoking was a man's activity, and so it was this whole like male, you know, kind of today. Of course, you have the man cave culture. Do you think this was sort of an early version of that? Absolutely, and and particular dogs, like the dogs that were representing the the men, were German Shepherds, Saint Bernards, Bulldogs, and uh, there's even a few paintings where the the wives come in and are busting up the poker game, and those are like French Poodles, you know, so um, so very humanized uh, in in their character, which again. The thing that's so great, and we'll post a, a link to these, the thing that's so great is there's a ton of stories, and we need to see these things big, because I'm sure that stories are being told with the cards and you know what the hands are and the expressions of the dogs and things like that. And on top of this, so what started with my original quest was to see if any of these paintings uh, could be bought for a reasonable amount and the answer is no <laughs> so, like so there was a, a 
I saw this one bit um, of this snotty art critic who referred to uh, Coolidge's paintings as pop schlock. And to me, like that makes us feel comfortable. It's real and it makes it, um, it makes it something that we can relate to. And obviously we remember it. And here's my coda to the critics comment about pop schlock. In 2015, Coolidge's uh, painting, Poker Game, which was done in 1894, sold for $650,000 at Sotheby's. $650,000? Yes. <laughs> one of, of dogs playing poker. And just for the uh, record, you weren't the one who bought it? No, yeah. To be really clear, I do not own that painting, but I'll take it if someone wants to give it to me. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, this is a great uh, segue because I was thinking about a few things that the Ernest character. What can what can we learn from Ernest? I ask myself that every day. <laughs> you know, Ernest went in all these places. How can we? Where do we go to learn from Ernest? So, um, right. you know, a few takeaways here. So one is that the Ernest character was one of the few characters that was able to bridge the chasm between a character in a 30-second TV spot and into a series of movies that are independent mm-hmm. of products. Like, for example, mm-hmm. Flo from Progressive, she's never going to appear mm-hmm. in a series of movies about going to camp. Right, right. It would That would be silly. Yeah, it's really impossible to separate a majority of characters from the products that they endorse because we're introduced to them both simultaneously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the second point I wanted to raise is that because the character Ernest was not associated with any one thing because he endorsed so much different stuff, food products, car dealerships, TV stations. He was universal. He had to be universal. So he was highly adaptable, right? So when it came time to drop him into a movie, that was something that Varney could very quickly improvise because he was doing so many of these different TV spots over the course of the day. Yeah, I was going to ask you if that was probably the reason why it moved. he moved into movies so easily in that uh, he wasn't known for one particular brand. And he he just represented that sort of nosy neighbor. From what I understand, he would basically, over the course of these shoot days, these intense shoot days for all of these local spots, he had basically a photographic memory. So someone would say, okay, you're going to do this Toyota dealership. And he would read the script once. And it was templated, of course. You know, you had to insert certain Mm -hmm. things at certain points. Mm -hmm. But he would read the script once, and he would just nail it. Like, there was never any second take, not because they were in that much of a hurry, but because they never needed to do it. Wow. Like, he just had that good of a memory. Wow, yeah. So, I guess, you know, it was one of those that uh, you knew what you were hiring, too. Like, if you you hired Ernest, you knew he was going to be Ernest, and you weren't going to... Uh, spend a lot of time talking about the motivation of of, of a particular car dealer. <laughs> right. I would assume it would be to sell more cars. <laughs> I mean, you know, why does Ernest care about the cars and, and such? But, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And then the third reason, the last reason, is 
Hey, news flash kids, viral videos existed before the internet, right? The Ernest character <laughs> was one of the first viral video stars because he was in so many local markets. Right, right. And I will say, Todd, this includes the market where I grew up in northeastern Ohio. Oh, yeah? There is a chain of stores, of food stores, called Convenient. You know, these little carryout stores. They're still around today. Uh -huh. And in doing my research, I found one of the original Convenient food store spots with Ernest in it. And I will add this to oh, our episode kidding. page, along with a compendium of all of the different ads that this guy did. And maybe a trailer or two of some of Ernest's... Uh, you know, movie-based adventures as well. So a lot of different things. But this was a very, very versatile character. Yeah. So this was a really interesting road to go down. Now, the question is, are there any Ernest oil paintings available? I am not sure that there are. That might be some... But there may be a market yes. for one, and maybe I should get busy you should, on those. Actually, you should, buy, you should buy some velvet, I think, and then you can yeah, start your earnest paintings. That that's true. That's true, uh, man. So interesting conversation uh, that that started with me just trying to seek out, thinking that no one in their in their right mind would ever care about a painting of dogs playing poker, and I could probably find one. <laughs> no, and um, also about uh, Jim Varney as Ernest P. Worrell, who. Uh, started as a, a pitchman everywhere, it yes. sounds like, and became well-loved and well-known. And it was a natural, easy jump to movies because the character was already known and the character was already loved. Yes. Hey, speaking of being silver-tongued and persuasive, do you think we could walk back over to the bar and maybe uh, see about getting some free drinks? Uh, persuade me. Yes, persuade me. <laughs> Twisting my arm. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this All was right. a lot of fun, and uh, I hope the audience had as much fun as we did. And, folks, we look forward to seeing you back here at the bar very, very soon. Yep. See ya. Todd and I would like to take a moment to thank everyone who has been listening to us throughout our first season. With 12 episodes under our belts, we feel this is a great place to press pause for a couple of months. When we first started this podcast, it was a big experiment. Neither of us had done anything like this before. We had no idea if it would even work or if anyone else would be interested in the goofy stuff that we like. But sometimes you've got to say what the hell and just put something out there. So we did. And we've enjoyed the support we've gotten, the memories listeners have shared with us, and the suggestions for future topics. Keep them coming. During our break, we'll be prepping for season two and working on more ways to get the word out about what we're up to. We're not going anywhere. Feel free to email us, hit us up on social media, visit our website, and, if you're feeling generous, make a donation to help support us. But most importantly, subscribe. And ask a friend to also. 
are available on most major streaming platforms. If there's another place we should be found, an email to hello at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com will get to both of us. So thank you again. While for many of us, the doors to our favorite watering holes are currently closed, there's always an empty stool waiting for you next to us here in our bar. We'll be back. See you soon. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app! Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show, or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.